Good afternoon. You are listening to Dawnland Signals on WERU-FM. Dawnland Signals is a monthly talk show where we hold space for critical conversations of truth, healing, and change here in the Dawnland. We explore topics such as restorative justice, restorative practices, decolonization, cultural revival, and more. Our guests are people involved in aspects of truth, healing, and change work. This program is offered in an effort to share, inspire, and inform. Dawnland Signals is a collaboration of Wabanaki Reach and WERU-FM. I am your co-host, Maria Gerard. And I am your co-host, Esther Ann. While the Land Back Movement has has been gaining in popularity across the country, the actual work behind Land Back in Wabanaki has been quietly taking place for quite some time now. Already, several parcels have been returned, such as Machias Port, Gordons or Bear Clan Island, and the latest land in Medibemps. Today, we will talk about the history of land back in Wabanaki and why it is important that tribal spaces be regained. But before we welcome our guests, we first want to start with appreciating the land. Thank you, Esther. Um, Before we delve into discussion, let's just take a moment to acknowledge the land beneath our feet, Wabanaki, the land of the first light, the dawn land, land that has known Wabanaki ancestors, the tallest trees and the oldest rivers, land that has known peace and conflict, land that has nourished us and sustained us since time immemorial. We acknowledge the indigenous people of this land, Wabanaki, the Passamaquoddy, Penobscot, Mi'kmaq, Maliseet, and Abenaki, and we give thanks to your stewardship and resilience. We are broadcasting from WERU studio in Blue Hill, Alamusic, Wabanaki. Wooly One Maria, thank you so much. Um, I always like that land appreciation. So I'm your co-host Esther Ann, and we're so excited today to be talking about land back and what that means here in Wabanaki. And we have two special guests with us here today, um, Donald Soktoma, Passamaquoddy historian and tribal historic preservation officer, and Dale Mitchell, Passamaquoddy tribe at Savayag and a land steward. Um, welcome, both of you. I'm glad you could both make it today. So we just, we really wanted to um, give you a chance each to introduce yourself and then just start talking about the history of reacquiring lands in Wabanaki and just have you share all of that history and background information with us. So I don't know who wants to start. Donald, do you want to start? Donald's on the phone, he can't see us, but I can see you, Dale. (laughs) You want to start, Donald? Yeah, uh, Dungak. Good day, my name is Donald Saktoma, and I'm a Passamaquoddy citizen. Um, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. 
Uh, Anagok, uh, Dale and Billy Wiz, Zubai, Gujayel, Mitoxen, Ya, Gichi Mitoxen, No one Esther, Yay, we did Glogum to Dijiban. My name is Dale Mitchell, um, I'm a resident of uh, Pleasant Point, Zubai. And um, Esther and I, we share a grandfather. Molly one, awesome. So we just wanted to um, start with. I, I was I was glad Maria asked um, brought this topic up for us to do a show on because I I had known about some of the land back, but I she she um, said that it, it's more than a lot of people know about all the work that you two have been doing all of these years um, that it, quietly, as she said. So do you wanna start by just sharing some of the history um, about the reacquiring the lands and, and how that has gone over the years? Donald, How yeah. Donald? Okay. Um, I think before we talk about that, we should think about how we got in this position, how the tribes were dispossessed of all their territory, um, just leading up to the American Revolution and how the wars in Europe sort of determined uh, where New France was and New England was and continually taking land and dispossession of land um, from the Passamaquoddy. Uh, that really started, the dispossession started um, really taking um, in high speed right after the American Revolution. The loyalists who were... Um, who were following the British left New York, Massachusetts, and southern part of Maine, and they came into Passamaquoddy territory and started um, living in our villages and taking over our territory. Um, the one that we know about the most is St. Andrews, where there was a tribal village and the Loyalists. Uh, rented a piece of property and it was just for the winter and they never left. So that was uh, the beginning that I saw of the main push of dispossession. And it continued on on the main side um, when the government wanted to pay the soldiers that were in the Revolutionary War, they started issuing uh, large blocks of land in Passamaquoddy Territory to the, um, the soldiers as payment for their services in the Revolutionary War. So as that continued, they were incorporating... Um, the township and city blocks, um, boundary lines, and there was actually no space left for the tribe on paper. 
but the tribe had many, many locations where there were small communities in Passamaquoddy territory. There was four or five in um, New Brunswick, which at the time was Nova Scotia. And then in Maine, there was a number of small um, communities still in place. There was a place in Machias that was called the Passamaquoddy community and Robinston, Pleasant Point, um, Eastport, Callis, who was a community, and um, Indian Township, and further north into Vanceboro. So at 1794, the tribe entered, sort of forced into uh, the 1794 treaty with Massachusetts. And from there, we were allocated um, 10 acres at Pleasant Point, 23,000 acres at Indian Township, uh, the islands on the St. Croix, the islands in Big Lake, and a couple smaller pieces and the carrying place in Lubeck. So with all that on paper, never to be sold, traded, or anything else, um, the dispossession of that treaty land started taking place. First, it was the 14 islands on the St. Croix, where they said the owner of one side of the river can claim the islands. So that dispossession of the tribe after a court case where the the tribe had to pay several thousand dollars for um, staying on the island that we have been for thousands and thousands of years. So we lost the islands. And, and then we started losing the islands on Big Lake that was set aside for us. They did that by changing the name of the island. And that was in 18, around 1840, 1850. So the way of dispossession has always been taking place. Around 1850, the tribe um, needed a woodlot because um, to heat the homes and Pleasant Point didn't have any trees left. So um, land was set aside for the tribe. It was uh, 200 acres in um, the central part of Perry along the Little River. And uh, another um, was in 1801, the 10-acre reservation at Pleasant Point. The tribe uh, petitioned to have that increased to 100 acres. So Pleasant Point became 100 acres at that point. So that was land back movement right there, right from the very beginning. So that's just a a brief history. Um, The notion of land back wouldn't have happened without the dispossession. I've been doing some studies on um, the land sales transaction. 
even though the land was set aside for the tribe, never to be sold or traded, uh, one of the, one of the big parcels um, amounted to 4,000 acres of um, reservation land at Indian Township, where the legislature didn't want to sell and um, and not follow the, the treaty at the time. So they didn't want to sell. They didn't want to lease it. But they had uh, farmers from up north of Indian Township. They wanted a road built through Indian Township. So they offered the guy to build a road, and in return, he was given... Um, 20% of Indian Township land, and they call that the Mile Strip. That was the largest parcel of land that was taken away from the tribe in a violation of the treaty. Then after that, it was just a series of uh, land sales for 999 years, and the township kept getting smaller and smaller um, for Native people. And then it came to a point where we're looking at um, the 1960s and into the 70s where the um, land movement, the modern-day land movement activity started with um, fighting for our reservation trying to get back the land on the reservation that was supposed to be protected by treaty. So that didn't really move anywhere until the late um, 80s, well, the mid-80s, um, 1980 land claims. Uh, the tribe became federal federally recognized in 1975 and then uh, the land claim started in 1980 and that's when the land back movement, the the next series of land movement started first was to retrieve our reservation lands and then it is eventually evolved into um, a series of court cases and um, land coming back in the land settlement for the tribe. So 150,000 acres in the main land claim settlement was um, made available for the tribe to buy back. It's a different type of land back movement. So that brings up brings us to um, today. Thank you so much, Donald, for that um, that history of of the dispossession. And immediately when you began to to tell that history, starting with the American Revolution, I can't help but think, um, you know, just how crazy it was to think that the Passamaquoddy were so instrumental in winning the American Revolution, you know, the tribes that helped the colonists to win the American Revolution. And then it wasn't, you know, but a short time after that um, 
they were becoming very generous with our <laughs> with our land. And um, I I appreciate the mention of the Maine Indian land claims because it's funny because when I'm thinking about uh, land back, it never even occurred to me that <laughs> that the Maine Indian land claims could be considered you know one of our efforts at land back. Yes, that's that's the way I look at it. It was uh, a partial land back. Um, considering our territory covered over 2 million acres and and we just get probably 1% of that total. I like that. Um, I like that perspective about the claim settlement act being land back. Um, I just wanted to stop to say you're listening to Don land signals on W E R U F M. I'm your co-host Esther Ann, along with Maria Gerard. Dawnland Signals is a monthly talk show where we hold space for critical conversations of truth, healing, and change. Today, we are talking about land back with Donald Soctoma and Dale Mitchell of the Passamaquoddy Tribe. And Donald was just, um, gave a real nice overview and a timeline of, of all of the uh, acts of dispossession and the early accent in the land back movement. I wondered if um, we wanted to talk more specifically about some of these more recent uh, land backs that have been happening. Um, for example, one that I knew about um, early on was the Machias Port petroglyph. And Donald, you were very instrumental in, in making that happen. Did you want to talk a little bit about how that occurred? Yeah, that one's a real long story. <laughs> um, during my uh, job as historic preservation officer, I was studying shell mitten sites along the coast. And I came across references to petroglyphs in, in Machias Port. And I made a an effort to go out there, and while I was out there, I met um, two researchers that were studying the petroglyphs. They, one of them, studied the uh, uh, the Passamaquoddy petroglyphs for thirty years, and the other one um, did some. He was helping him along, and um, they were looking at doing a film to document that. So uh, we became friends. We shared a common interest, and. Um, they needed help to finish the film, and I was able to come up with some money to um, help produce the film. Um, it was called um, uh, Song of the Drum. It's the story of main petroglyphs, and it mainly focuses on the Chinese port. So as I was spending a more and more time in Machias Port studying and trying to understand the petroglyphs, I became friends with the landowner. And the landowner um, was understanding and really wanted to work with the tribe on some way to um, preserve the petroglyphs and well, eventually, um, 
the the owner of the land passed on it and went to her daughter and her daughter became a friend and but eventually they they were thinking about selling the land and it was scheduled for um three house subdivision so um I brought this information back to the tribe and they wanted they told me to do whatever I can to try to protect that site. So I partnered with um, Maine Coastal Heritage Trust. And it was a different type of partnership because they they were doing a project on the west side of Machias Bay in one of the coves on protection. And we happened to own 300 acres there and they they were trying to preserve that whole section of of the bay and and the land with the petroglyphs came up to um an amount of money that i probably couldn't make in a lifetime so um we made an agreement where we wouldn't be developing our property in that part of Machias, and in return, they would purchase the petroglyph property and give it to the tribe. So the property that we did that with was blueberry land, so um, I didn't see a problem with it. Um, I thought it was a good deal. We preserve our blueberry land, and get the petroglyphs in return. So at that point, it was four acres of land and petroglyphs. And it was really a touching moment. There were over 500 people that showed up at the deed transfer ceremony. Uh, We had Chief Doyle there from uh, Pleasant Point and Chief, um, I think it was Richard Stevens at the time, at, from Indian Township, and um, there were people, local people, um, Passport Parties, Penobscots, um, Mi'kmaq, and Maliseet, uh, federal people, state people. It, it was just a real powerful event. And um, some of our sweat lodge keepers built a sweat lodge right at the site. And uh, during the ceremony, um, invited people inside the sweat lodge to celebrate the return of this um, part of the earth that's so important spiritually for the tribe. And the messages um, were dated up to, they estimate they're about 3,000 years old. And um, and the messages in the rock that the ancestors left are pretty powerful. So the tribe agreed to all of that, and it transferred um, the way it's supposed to be. It's perfect. That must have been so exciting, I can imagine. And that was the, the first sort of land back of that 
character, correct, that where you had um, collaborated with the land trust and was able to raise this, this type of money to get the return of the land? Is that the first of that type? That was the the first with the land trust. Mm-hmm. We previously did one with um, a place called um, Gordon's Island. In Gordon's Island, um, we've renamed to Muinwi Monique, which means um, the island of the bear clan. Mm-hmm. And this was a place that had three ways. We, in our um, in the late 1700s to the mid 1800s, there were three waves of smallpox that impacted our community at Indian Township. And whenever somebody came down with the symptoms, they went to Gordon's Island pretty much to to die. Um, and that island's always been known as the burial island from the smallpox. And we have some really um, horrible accounts of what happened to the people there. Um, right in the Indian agent reports. But um, the landowner was the paper company at the time, Georgia Pacific, and they owned um, millions of acres around Indian Township. And the tribe approached them a long time ago to have to purchase the island. And they weren't interested in that. So the land, uh, the paper company changed hands, and Domtar became the owner of the paper mill. And at that time, um, I met with the uh, the one of the workers that um, polit- the political uh, lobbyists that worked for Domtar, and I brought up the idea about um, us, the tribe, Passamaquoddy purchasing Gordon's Island back. And he said, well, let me take that to the president of the company. And they were stationed in Montreal. And the following week, he said, well, he wants to talk to you. So we called him up the next day, and I talked to him about the history of Gordon's Island and the past, and what the tribe wanted to do was to protect um this sacred island and I said we're we're interested in buying it and he said I I can't sell you that island and you know um, my hopes went dropped down to the floor pretty much he goes I'm going to give you that island and he goes we we believe in a partnership with native communities and returning this island to you is bringing your ancestors back and allowing the tribe to go there to hold ceremonies. So a few months later, we had a ceremony at Indian Township um, along Big Lake and in the background was Gordon's Island. And um, the president of the company 
he flew and landed his plane at Big Lake, and um, we paddled out to get him, brought him to the um, platform, and and the the whole community came out, and he presented the um, deed for that island to the chief. So it was um, another powerful event, and that was the second example of laying back. I I like those stories, and it it just strikes me that like we never know until we ask, right? I mean, who it it seems so simple just to have a conversation and ask and see what happens, and that and he wanted to give it to you. That that's give it back to the tribe. That's amazing. And now, Dale, I want to um, move to you now and have you share some of um, what you want to share in, in your background and how you got involved in Land Back and share share some stories with us. You're muted. You're muted right now. Oh, there you go. All right. Um, I don't have quite such an extensive uh, array or knowledge of uh, land back as uh, Donald has. Don, Donald's, as, as as his title implies, you know, I mean, um, historic preservation, you know, and as old as he is, he's got a lot of history behind him, too, you know. So. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually employed by the Passamaquoddy tribe at Pleasant Point as a environmental technician, and um, specifically, the job that I do is cleaning up uh, contaminated sites. Um, I work out of a grant from uh, the EPA um, called the Brownfield, Brownfield Program. And um, I've been doing that for, uh, I think, probably 12 years now, something like that. Um, and um, it, it's, it's funded every year. Um, there's an allocation that's set aside for, um, you know, uh, the, the, the the programs, um, all, all Indian programs. Um, and uh, for the longest time, uh, Pleasant Point, um, Passamaquoddy was the only, only entity um, uh, within the tribes here in Maine that, that had a program going. Um, uh, after a while, uh, uh, they, they ended up uh, getting a program uh, with Brownfields with the, um, the Penobscots, um, John, um, John Banks, you know, he, he ran it for a while. Um, I think, I don't know who they've got doing it now. I bought um, Sean, 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 some, I can't remember Sean's last name. But, but anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've been involved with, um, you know, taking care of the land, you know. Um, and I guess if you think about, you know, um, fighting for the land, fighting to get land back or fighting to protect land, um, I kind of alluded to it a little bit when I was uh, at the meeting in um, uh, Medibems over over Indian Day weekend, and uh, that was uh, when when I, when I mentioned that number one I was I'm uh, I'm, I'm a, um, uh, a veteran, so you know uh, you know who else fights for land? I mean you know. <laughs> um, and it's ironic that you know you would have so many natives that actually um, volunteered for the service and stuff. You know, I mean, um, uh, even, even with the draft and stuff, there, there were still many, many people that actually volunteered. So I, I, I guess, 
you know, from that perspective, you know, you could say that I, 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 I you know, I've laid my life on the line to, to fight for mm-hmm. Japan, fight for the, um, fight for the U.S. basically, you know, um, but uh, the, I, I, I want to focus on Medibemps, um, Medibemps being um, the, the, the most recent, I think, um, reacquisition of tribal property, you know, historical tribal property. Um, although small, you know, it's, it's, a, it, it's I think it's a, a huge win, um, if you even want to call it a win. You know, I, I, I think it was a, basically right from the very start, it was a no-brainer. <clears throat> so Harry Smith was, a, um, was, was the, the owner prior to um, the EPA and the DEP actually um, acquiring it from him uh, based on the fact that there was uh, all kinds of contamination there. Um, it, it rose to the level of um, a Superfund site. Uh, there were many, many different types of contaminants on the ground and stuff, you know, and um, Donald could probably speak to, to, to a lot of the history, you know, before um, I became involved with it. My, my um, involvement, um, uh, my passion for that piece of property basically only began like six or seven years ago. Um, uh, what I did there was um, as somebody who works in the environmental department, EPA and DEP actually contacted uh, the environmental department here at Pleasant Point and uh, asked if we would go um, to the site and, and, and do a, a site walk. Um, what happens is every five years, um, they have, they, they do what they call a five-year plan. And all the five-year plan, five-year plan does is it reviews all of the things that have been done um, in the previous five years and you know, um, share that with the general public to see what else they could do or what else might need to be done, um, you know, to, to, it, it's it's a requirement of their um, their their, uh, their grants. So um, they had, they they had already um, done the archaeological stuff there. Um, Don Donald was a big part of that, and you know, um, a lot of the stuff that they found, a lot of the artifacts that they found there, I guess, dated back to like eight thousand years with. You know, some of them actually dating back even further than that. My, my, my understanding is that there were a couple of things that dated back to even 10,000 years. So, you know, I mean, um, if you're familiar with the place and familiar with the location and um, are familiar with, you know, tribal, you know, the way that the tribe, you know, their economy was based on, you know, um, hunter-gatherer type, you know, um, uh, you know, activities. So um, it was basically right next to a stream. You know, it was basically the headwaters of the Denny's River. So here you've got um, shad, alewives, salmon, um, whatever else you know, whatever, whatever other kind of species that were there at that site. So it, it, it was a very, very ideal spot for the tribe to actually live at. Um, 
And um, I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to read some of those little booklets that that that, that Donald has that was that that was um, uh, generated as a result of everything that happened there. Um, so I want to get back to the uh, the the EPA and DEP uh, contacting the tribe and having us go out there to go and take a, a site walk of, of the, uh, the the uh, the area. Um, Donald was there, I was there. Um, there was uh, two people from um, uh, Maine DEP. Uh, there was uh, a representative from EPA. Um, and a lot of them have had, you know, a lot of it, you know, um, experience and um, exposure to the site. So they're really familiar with it, and, you know. Um, but when, when we were there, um, my immediate uh, reaction to what I saw and what I saw was, you know, the place was all overgrown. You know, although it had been cleaned up, um, a lot of the, um, you know, uh, refuse and the contamination, the drums and whatnot, had already all been removed for the most part. And, um, you know, but it was all overgrown, you know, and it was like, um, I, I actually, I, I, I felt hurt that, you know, you have a site like this that just isn't being tended to, you know? I mean, it, it's, it's like, you know, letting the, um, um, a cemetery, not not be no, no perpetual care, nothing. You know, I mean, it, it was. Um, I felt insulted. I, I, I felt insulted, and I felt hurt, and I and I made no bones about it when I was asking DEP and EPA why aren't they taking care of this? Well, you know, this this what I'm going to say now. It probably creates a little bit of controversy with with the main DEP, but you know, it happened to be just the way that it was. And, you know, when, when I asked, they said, well, we don't have the money. Um, and long story short, with regard to that, the money that was allocated from the uh, EPA uh, to the DEP to do the cleanup and all of the other things that was required, such as the maintenance and, and you know, um, uh, grounds, grounds care, um, had been used for something else. Um, I guess back in the Baldacci uh, administration, you know, uh, they saw fit to utilize some of those monies that was meant for the, um, the maintenance to you know, heat a mill, I guess, because one of the mills was being closed down and they was worried about you know, jobs and whatnot. So um, they were looking for somebody to move into the, the mill. So they spent the money that was otherwise allocated for that to, to, to um, I guess, uh, see if they could find, find a new tenant for, the, for that operation. Well, when, when he told me that, you know, I, I just said, well, you know, if you guys aren't going to do it, I'll do it, right? Um, and he, he was, um, he said, yeah, I, 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 that, that would be good but I can't allow it. And he, he wouldn't allow it because of liability. Um, well, wow. you know, there's, there's always, you know, you can always find a way around liability, you know? And, uh, um, so I, I, I just told him, you, you know, draw up whatever papers you need, you know, 
and, and you know, I'll sign them, you know? And then he said, well, we can't pay you. I said, I'm not looking for a job. I've already got a job and I'll, I'll do this at my own expense. And, and you know, so um, he drew up the papers, we signed them and stuff and everything was, was you know, everything had been fine, you know, to, to, to do that. Um, and I, I, I just took the, I felt compelled to do it. You know, there, were, there was, there, there was, there was a present there, some kind of a presence. And um, I think I got my marching orders from, you know, beyond this realm. Um, there's obviously, you know, um, the connection, not just to the property, but to the people that were there, um, mm -hmm. to the, the energy, to the spirits that are there, you know, and, and um, I, I even even though you know I during the summertime you know maybe sometimes twice a week you know I'll go up there because I can't get it all done in one day you know if I leave on, I mean if I done it on Saturday or Sunday I'd probably get it all done but I usually do it after work go up there on my own time go and do a little bit of work mowing the lawn and stuff you know and clean up you know deadfalls and you know just trying to make it look presentable and you know. Um, or, well, there haven't been a lot of people there. Um, that's another a aspect I think that we have to work on um, about, you know, having um, having better access to the property. Um, but it's clean now. It's clean to the point where, you know, people can go and visit it. Um, there's a small portion within that. that there's, there's a fence all the way around it. And there's another fence within that fenced-in area, um, and that area is still there's still some contamination there, but not to the point where it's you know uh, immediately dangerous to you know health to somebody's health or, or, or life. But um, uh, there's going to be ongoing work that needs to be done there. Um, they're going to be doing some bioremediation, uh, which means all they're doing is they've, they've got. Um, injection wells and they've got test wells um, so they inject uh, biological agents or bugs into the injection wells and then you know after a period of time they'll go back to go and see what you know what what, what kind of results they're getting from um, the biological agents and see if they're actually eating up some of the contamination that's still in the ground because my uh, my understanding is that you know um, they try to clean up a bunch of it and to actually get all of it and stuff, you know, you would have to go down into bedrock. And it's just not practical for people to be able to go down into bedrock. Um, it would be, you know, I won't say impossible, but, you know, it would be very, very, you know, um, it would cost cost prohibitive, number one. Um, but there are fissures in the rock, the cracks and stuff, and that's how the contamination got down deep into the bedrock anyway. So you use that same medium to get you know all all of the, um, uh, the biological agents back down into the into the ground. So, I guess my fight started around about after the first year that I actually had some you know involvement with the property, got 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 acclimated to it. You know, um, you know. We, we, we kind of had a little romance, I guess you might say, the, 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 the land and I. And um, 
you know, I started talking to people, you know, um, and it was like, you know, um, all right, after that last five-year five year plan they put out, they were, the, the EPA and the DEP were looking for a third party to take over um, the, uh, um, the ownership of the property. Um, and, you know, right away, you know, um, why, why not the tribe? I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> why not? You know, a slam dunk, I thought, right? Well, um, they didn't, the, the main DEP didn't have a process. They really didn't have any kind of a, you know, application form or, you know, they just said, well, uh, why do you think you would be, you know, a, a, a good candidate or why do you think that you, that it should go to you? You know, look at the history, you know, um, you know, the, check, check out the archaeological uh, record, you know, 10,000 years. I mean, you're going to tell, you're going to tell us now that, you know, maybe, you know, you, we're going to give it to somebody else, even though you've had that much, con you know, connection mm. with the property, you know, I, I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> Um, wow. but, you know, they, they also had to go with their, um, you know, I, I guess making it available to whoever, you know, wanted to at least throw that hat in the ring. Um, so, um, there was any number of NGOs within, within the local area, you know, um, Sierra Club, uh, the, the, uh, the Downey Salmon Federation, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, IFNW. I mean, there's just a host of NGOs here in the area who probably would have, you know, uh, put their their bid in for that piece of property. Um, but when they found out that the tribe wanted to do it, they all just, you know, they they, they all just backed away. Um, they had they, they had it within their heads to say, all right, you know, it's mm -hmm. only logical that the tribe should get it. So we're not going to compete with them. We don't want we don't want to, you know, mix things up for them in any way, shape, or form. So we're going to stand back and 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 support them, you know. Um, and you know, but we still have to have a meeting. So we had a meeting in um, uh, events. At, at their at their town town hall, it, it was you know just just a gathering, not really a meeting per se, um, uh, and but they did have have a, you know some discussion about it, and um, you know it, it was met met with um, a fair amount of um, you know resistance, I guess I would say that there there were there were an equal amount, if not more, that were in favor of the tribe getting it. Um, some of the questions were, were, were you know, um, are you going to build a casino there? You know, <laughs> you know, um, are you going to? Are you going <laughs> that to have cracks me up every time. They think we're going to have a casino everywhere we go. <laughs> yeah, uh, and are, are you go? Are you going to have parties there? You know, and I'm like, you know, this this is, you know, green space. I think is. is for what it is, I think green space is about all, all that I could ever really foresee, you know. Um, I have a little dream with that place, you know. 
and it, it, it coincides with everything that was found there in, in, in the past, you know, um, you know, a living museum of sorts or something, you know, um, uh, outlines of where all the huts used to be, where people, people used to do their cooking and, you know, um, something, you know, um, although, although the place already has kiosks there and stuff, you know, to, to, to identify what had happened, how long, how long ago all this stuff happened, the history behind it. Um, I just think that, you know, for, for me, I'd, I'd like to see some kind of, you know, structures built there, you know, just, just for that purpose, you know? Um, yeah, it's beautiful there. I, I, the first time I went was when they had the ceremony last week. Um, and I had always wondered, you know, coming down that road, I had always wondered what was over there on that hill. And now I know, um, yeah. and it is beautiful. Well, anyway, you know, I mean, you know, um, it's, it's been my passion. Um, and, um, I guess, like I was saying, you know, I would, I, I, I would talk to just about anybody that would listen, you know, and, um, call it whining, call it whatever you want to call it. You know, I mean, um, I, I, I must've hit a chord with someone at some point in time somewhere. Um, and then of course, when Rena got on as, um, rep, Right. Um, I mean, I, I chewed on her ear for, for quite a while, too. And, and you know, um, and, you know, she enlisted, um, you know, all of the her, you know, constituents at the state house and stuff, you know, and, and got them all on board. And, um, you know, it, it, it's everything started to take off about that time. And when when um, everything started rolling and they actually went to committee um i i, I got a list of all of them i, I don't know um, there, there's like 14 i think yeah i think there's 14 committee members that that, that were there um uh, here in that bill um it was bill 1560. And that's that's amazing dale i just want to stop and let people know that we are listening to Dawnland Signals on WERU-FM. I'm your co-host, Esther Ann, along with co-host Maria Gerard. Dawnland Signals is a monthly talk show where we hold space for critical conversations of truth, healing, and change. And today we're talking about Land Back with Donald Soctoma and Dale Mitchell of the Paschal Tribe. And as always, whenever we're recording the show, Maria and I we should have a two-hour show because there's so much to talk about um, once we just start listening and it's it's I have all kinds of notes and a lot of questions but we we're almost out of time here I think we have about eight more minutes um, so I don't know if Maria if you wanted to say anything um, in wrapping up well, I just wanted to acknowledge these points and the stories that I'm hearing from Dale and from Donald and you know what I'm hearing are these stories of being tenacious you know that um, you never know what's going to happen and not really taking no for an answer and um, and the importance of forming relations and also the importance of educating people and um, I loved Dale your story about um, how you just sort of became the passionate caretaker of that space because you felt some sort of connection 
to that place. And um, that was, you know, one of the things that I had hoped to talk about um, today. And we only got a couple minutes uh, left to talk. But um, I wanted to ask, why is it important to reclaim these spaces? Donald, did you want to jump in? Well, it's important for spaces like this that really have a spiritual, emotional, and a cultural tie to the tribe because there's nothing more sacred to the tribe except for our families than land. So it's important for us to continue um, doing what we do. Um, we didn't have a chance, I know, uh, to talk about the return of um, Pine Island on Big Lake. That was another um, work of working with groups that partnered with the tribe and the land movement and a group called First Light that are working with us. And that's an important thing is to have people willing to work together with the tribe. Absolutely. Uh, Dale, Dale, did you want to add anything more about um, why, what is the importance in reclaiming these spaces? You, you use the term reacquisition. I like that. I like that word. How do you feel? Um, or what do you feel is the importance in reclaiming these spaces? Well, I mean, when you look at it from the perspective of what happened there, you know, who lived there, um, it's, it's a part of our identity, you know. Um, I, I, I think it, it, you know, helps um, cement the connection with the tribe, um, with, our, with the new generation coming up, um, who their ancestors were, you know. Um, it, it's we're a part of it and it's a part of us you know and the, the, the two go hand in hand um, and I think if more people could probably identify with that um, we'd, we'd have a lot more champions on board too absolutely and there were a couple of resources that were um, mentioned during the conversation. Um, Donald, you had mentioned the song "Song of the Drum." That is, a, is that a book or a video? It's a um, film, "Song of the Drum," the um, main petroglyphs. Story of Maine Petroglyphs. Okay. And also, um, we had talked about the um, stories of around Medibamps, and that was also a video as well as a booklet, correct? Nadalna Bamp? Yeah, we wanted to document that and to use that as a teaching tool for everybody. Um, and I, I think that's a, a really important film, and it gets that message across. 
what what we can do is we can um, try to compile these resources and put them on our website for people to access. Oh, along yes. with maybe the books that Donald that uh, Dale mentioned that Donald had that tell the story of um, you know these areas uh, those booklets that you produced. Maybe we can gather all these resources and put them online for and and get uh, let people know how to access them to increase their um, education. Yeah, that's, that's great. Great plan, absolutely. Well, uh, we are down to the wire now, and we're always amazed at how quickly time passes when we're together. Um, I just wanted to take a few minutes to say thank you to our special guests. Donald Soctoma and Dal Mitchell of the Passamaquoddy tribe and um, you know thank you for your your tenacity and your work and bringing back these important spaces to the Passamaquoddy tribe I'd also like to uh, in closing thank the listeners for joining us on Donland Signals thank you to volunteer technician Jeffrey Hodgkiss for his assistance and support be sure to join us next month, September 16th, and every third Thursday of the month for Dawnland Signals and more conversations of truth, healing, and change. And stay tuned for more great programming here on WERU-FM. Up, Chitch. Up, Chitch. <laughs>